Hello, everyone. It's G3, and this week, Jordi and I are happy to welcome back to the pod, Sultan Medji. As longtime listeners know, any time we have Sultan on the show, the green marbles start flying, especially on how technology interacts with and influences the markets and geopolitics. This episode continues in that fine tradition, but focuses in on cybersecurity, and boy, oh boy, there is a lot to talk about on that front. So stick around, check out important disclosures at the end of the episode, and join us for this one. And with that, welcome. All right, we are recording. Sultan, Jordi and I are very, very happy to have you back, I believe, for the fifth time. You are the Steve Martin of this podcast. And by that, I'm referring to the fact that he was the most frequent guest on Saturday Night Live. So you are our very own Steve Martin. Well, thank you. Do I get a, a jacket or something? I believe we gave you a green marble thing last time you were on. So yeah, five more times. So okay, five, five more times. a very great description. <laughs> yes, green marble you. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it very visual for the audience. Very visual. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. <laughs> I believe it was a block of marble. Right, a coaster yeah. of some a sort. Coasters, yeah. Podcast is going downhill. Podcast is going downhill. No, all right, we got to bring it uphill then. All right, there is so much going on in the markets with interest rates, with inflation, with politics that I would love to talk with both of you about. But instead, I wanted to slant this conversation towards cybersecurity, which I feel isn't getting the attention perhaps it deserves with all the other things going on, but we've had dire warnings as of late from leading law enforcement officials in both the U.S. and in Europe. In recent days, we have seen several large companies, AnyDesk, Clorox, Johnson Controls, acknowledge incidents. We have talk of potential new exploits involving Apple's Vision Pro, a new bot entitled Commando Cat wreaking havoc, the Pennsylvania court system dealing with a denial-of-service attack, mounting concerns that Iran wants to keep attacking U.S. water systems, hospitals reporting that they have been breached, and last but certainly not least, deep fake scams like the one that we saw recently in Hong Kong that have done a marvelous job of tricking employees into sending huge sums of money out of corporate bank accounts. This is a real issue. And Sultan, I can't wait to get into this with both you and Jordi. But before we do, if you could, please remind our listeners, and we have lots of new listeners, about who you are and what your company, Frontier Foundry, does. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. As it relates to this conversation, I've been in tech for slightly more than 30 years. I got an NSF grant in 1992 to study artificial intelligence. And so that comes back to what Frontier Foundry is. But also in that era, I worked on what we would now call cybersecurity and how to think about it as a, not just a technical issue, but also a, you know, a policy issue and, and have had a, a long career of dealing with those two side by side. Spent time in the startup space. A few years ago, I was in the U.S. government. And since then, Two years ago, we started working on what's now called Frontier Foundry, which is we talk about it in a very broad sense. There are two things to think about that I tend to tell people when I talk about Frontier Foundry. First is we build 
some of the most advanced artificial intelligences in the world, but we do it in incredibly efficient ways because the architecture of our artificial intelligence is called ensemble systems. So instead of like so many other AI companies where it's one big model to rule them all that is trained off of all the data on the internet, we start much more focused, much more narrow so that you don't worry about, for example, hallucinations the same way. You don't worry about erroneous answers. We've built the system to try to be as deterministic as possible. You always want two plus two to equal four. And with most AI systems right now, that can be a bit of a challenge. The second thing is we've built it to be as secure as possible. Over the coming weeks and months, we're going to announce a bunch of really interesting technologies. But one of the things that we deal with on a daily basis is a fairly aggressive cyber environment, which obviously we're going to talk more about today. We had our first spear phishing attack against us as a company within a week of us launching a website last year. And it has gone up logarithmically. And so, as I was just saying before we got started recording, I think cyber is probably going to end up being a bigger story in 2024 than AI. And so, wow, a bigger story than AI. I do. I do think it's going to be a bigger story. And we'll, we'll kind of dig into that. And as we go through the podcast, but Frontier Foundry is, to my mind, approaching how to build secure artificial intelligences in a bunch of different markets in a far more thoughtful way than a lot of others. And we went from zero to significant revenue very quickly once we launched the company. And I'm very excited to be trying to manage that as we get through 2024. Well, later on in the episode, I'm going to pose the question to you of whether or not AI is a blessing or a curse, or both for cybersecurity. And I'm sure you'll have fun things to say on that. E, all of the above. E, all of the above, exactly. Well, <laughs> as you both know, last week, FBI Director Christopher Ray testified before Congress and sounded the alarm that American infrastructure is under attack and that it could pose a real threat, cause real harm to American communities. And so my first question for you, Sultan, is should we interpret that to mean that there is some new development that has occurred that is making the threat imminent? Or is this just more of a kind of general keep us on our toes posture that the U.S. government likes to maintain? You know, the FBI director is a really circumspect role. You don't have people like that giving press releases just because they they feel like it or, or generally with because of too much of a political agenda. When the FBI director talks about something like this and talks about the threat of this and talks about how this this boulder is is rolling down like in the first Indiana Jones movie, that's on purpose. It's to really say two things. One is this is something we should be talking about. And number two is this is not the last time I'm going to be talking about this. You know, very rarely does the FBI director just get up and talk about something and then you never hear about it ever again. I think for those of us who operate in environments where we see cybersecurity issues on a daily basis... I think 2023, everybody's antenna went up because we started seeing quite a bit more activity and kind of in every aspect, whether it's password hacks or any of the stuff that's hit the news all the way through to looking at how enterprises are are having to respond to this and spend more and more resources responding to cybersecurity issues. The thing that I heard out of that testimony that was far more eye-opening for me was his comment that for every cyber-oriented person at the FBI, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, the Chinese have 50 times as many. So for every one person we have, they have 50. Attackers. Attackers, right. And if we are to consider how to respond to that, what the point he's trying to make is it can't just be by training more people. 
which has been a big piece of a lot of the discussions around emerging technologies in particular. You can't just train more people. We have to have new, new and updated processes. We have to have new and updated technologies. And so for me, if it comes down to, do I spend money on AI this year or do I spend money on cyber? That's not even a question. You have to really look at how much money you're spending on cyber and are you protecting yourself? And there's a lot of other reasons in the regulatory community. For example, we see these new rules from the SEC about reporting on cybersecurity. I think if a you know, rather small tech company like mine is at a moment where we basically are spending probably four times as a percent of operating expense what other companies are on cybersecurity, and I'm sort of feeling okay about that, I would expect whatever people think they're spending on cyber to be a woeful underinvestment. Well, let's talk about a big tech company then. Jordy, Ray singled out TikTok as a particular cause of concern and pointed out its data collection on millions of users. What is your take on the ongoing challenge presented to our society by TikTok? And would our country be better off if we just went ahead already and banned it as some lawmakers are pushing for? So my added value, I guess, to this particular podcast, because Salt is an expert in this entire area, and I think we're going to get more into the relationship between AI and cyber and also in crypto and everything along those lines. But I think TikTok is a really interesting point for people to think about when it comes to markets from a couple levels. One is everyone knows that over the past, whatever it's been now, a little over a year, starting in January of last year, the way to make money in the market has been technology and mega cap technology names. TikTok is obviously, I guess at this point, it's the preferred communication source for a lot of young people in the country. In January of last year, one of the things that fueled the rally in, in tech stocks was AI. And now we have cyber meeting AI. And Sultan and I were talking before we came up here just saying, what's going to be the big headline that comes out? You mentioned the recent Hong Kong headline, but what's going to be the one that makes cyber front and center as an investment theme? It's kind of under the hood right now. And where TikTok fits in, obviously, it is data. It comes at a time when we're more worried than ever about the data behind it. This issue with TikTok, interestingly enough, has been part of kind of market commentary since really early 22 is the first time I remember it, but certainly for all of 22 into the fourth quarter. And now you add in that what else happened in the fourth quarter of 22? Well, that's when ChatGPT was released and we had the generative AI acceleration. So now you have this combination of data behind TikTok, a Chinese company, and this intersection with cyber and AI. And I think it makes it a really important thing. And the reason this fits in for people to hear the geek math side of this, ChatGPT users, we've talked about it, approximately 90% of users or around 90% are below the age of 50. So that gives you one angle in terms of, okay, we do the same thing for crypto, similar numbers, 90%. Well, guess what? TikTok, exact same. So when you say, what does this mean for American society? How old is Ray? <laughs> How old are all the regulators? You have a very unique situation in the history of the earth where technology is accelerating at such a pace that young children are able to use these technologies in a way that older people don't use them on. They communicate through them. If you watch any story on TV, on FBI story, eventually you have something where they're communicating in some form of game 
or something where you can't track them. So I think rather than people get involved in TikTok, what's going to happen, what's not, it's very hard, especially in a voting year. They haven't got it done before 24. How are they going to go after 150 million young people voters and say you can't use TikTok? So it's very difficult. I remember in China when I traveled there and all of a sudden I went back and people said, eh, you can't communicate with us on Facebook anymore. We're off of Facebook. They've kind of shut it down. We're not going to do that. So the reality is for everyone involved when it comes to TikTok, I think this podcast is meant to have you say, hey, what are some of the spinoffs of AI that are going to benefit? And I think cyber is clearly one. And I think as we go on, I won't talk about it now, but I think crypto is another one of those sidebars that's important for people to think about as an offshoot from TikTok. Excellent. We will definitely get back to crypto later on. And Jordy, you just did some good work there in connecting dots. I'd like to continue with that theme, Sultan, and... Talk about a recent comment that the chair of NATO's military committee made, Robert Peter Baer, or Bauer, and he caused a bit of a stir when he described our current times as the most dangerous world in decades. He urged Europeans to expect the unexpected, saying that every European needed to be equipped with water, a radio, a flashlight with fresh batteries. And then soon after that, out of the blue almost, British chief of General Staff Sir Patrick Sanders said that the UK may reintroduce conscription. And I'm just wondering here, when you combine all of these very dire warnings with what Ray has said, can you connect these warnings to just conventional war concerns, or are they also related, in your opinion, to these mounting threats coming from the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, the North Koreans and others on the cyber front? It's a really interesting question because we are really having three different conversations at the same time. Conversation number one is the infrastructure of our civilization, especially Western democracy infrastructure, is at its most brittle in the modern era, certainly since World War II whether it's energy or telecommunications or whatever, food supplies. I mean, we've all seen pressures against those. Empty shelves in grocery stores is the example I give there. So that's one issue. The second issue we have is we have this unbelievable new set of technical capabilities that AI plus cyber plus the maturity of the technical ecosystem, which in a lot of ways is very good and has allowed for the build of so much AI recently, but also was first adopted in many cases by offensive cyber actors, state or non-state, which frankly doesn't mean a whole lot of difference to me. And so you have tremendous technical capabilities in that same place. And then third is you have a fairly untenuous geopolitical environment where there just are a lot of uncertainties. We're about to go into a presidential election here in the U.S. where the two parties have radically different views of U.S. participation globally. We have an ongoing land war in Europe. We have a subtly and continually escalating series of conflicts in the Middle East. We have China, which now has, for all intents and purposes, a bigger navy in the Pacific than the United States does for the first time since World War II. The U.S. is not the dominant navy. And any one of these little things can be the equivalent of the shot heard around the world. And I don't want to be alarmist, and I certainly don't think we're headed for World War III, but the fact is, is we are definitely closer to that than at any point for many, many years, certainly most of our lifetimes. And yet the VIX is very low, Jordy. (laughs) Markets only care about one thing right now. (laughs) Right, right. All right, well, let's talk about AI and how this plays in. I'd like to just get back to that question. AI, 
a net beneficiary and benefitor of cybersecurity, or does it do more harm than good, in your opinion, Sultan? It's impossible to separate those two. When I talk about AI, I also, in the same breath, often talk about automation. And so much of AI activity out there starts with really high-quality data capture, automating their processes around that, and then doing what you need to do with that data. And so can that be used for unbelievable good? Yeah, we see it on a daily basis, kind of why the internet works, right? But on the other side, it makes it very easy for a offensive cyber actor to take that technology and radically overscale and hit a specific target with the equivalent of the most advanced, for example, sphere phishing technology with a couple of taps at a keyboard, where previously it would take days, weeks of effort to get to a point where you could launch an attack. Now it's click a couple of buttons. And so a lot of that comes from the current generation of artificial intelligence. And we haven't even talked about deep fakes and things like that. I've had a couple of deep fake experiences when I was inside the U.S. government. Somebody called in using my voice trying to change where my direct deposit was sent. This is now a commoditized piece of technology that doesn't cost a lot of money. So a couple of kids in a garage, you know, like the Silicon Valley myth story, a couple of kids in a garage could do some really bad things. Oh, they absolutely can. I think it is not hyperbolic to say that a single laptop and a single credit card with a thousand dollar credit limit probably is enough to do some real damage to some of this brittle infrastructure that I mentioned before. Well, let's talk about where the infrastructure is all shiny and new, and that is the final frontier, the space theater. Talk about how the growing reliance on satellites potentially enlarges the attack surface area for bad actors. Yeah. So for those who don't know, there are about 8,500, give or take, satellites in orbit. About half of them have been launched in less than the last five years. And this is going back to the 1950s, right? So it's not a huge domain in terms of the number of assets up there. Some of them that are highly mission critical to our daily lives are 15, 20, 30 years old. A vast majority of them are, if not single points of failure, close to single points of failure. If you degrade the capability of a single satellite, there isn't a second satellite hovering 100 feet away that can pick up the work, right? We have everything from anti-satellite weapons that a number of countries have to the ability to send the equivalent of a denial of service signal against it, which we've seen in Eastern Europe. We saw it with GPS not too long ago. We've seen it over Ukraine. And so, you know, space to me, and, and, you know, if you look at, some of the stuff Frontier Foundry's put out in the last you know, couple of months, we talk about space quite a bit. Um, and we'll continue to talk about space. If I look at areas where artificial intelligence has probably the most positive impact in terms of de-risking parts of the infrastructure of the West, space is, if not number one, it's in the top five or six. Hmm. And so some of it is shiny and new. Some of it is also not shiny and new. And the thing to think about is, let's just say there's a satellite that's in its first five to 10 years of service up there, and it's just kind of humming away, doing what it does, and making sure that the ambulance can get to the hospital when it needs to and, you know, things like that, like basic civil services. If you are at a point where that all of a sudden goes away, that's not something that we can just flip back on like a switch. You know, it's technical architecture of that is quite different than how the Internet works. And so when we talk about space systems as being significant risks to the overall infrastructure. They just work differently from the rest of the internet. They work differently than other technologies. And so if one of them does go down, you can't just flip a switch and get them back. You have to turn around and think about a multi-year, multi-10, if not $100 million journey to get them back into orbit. 
there are a variety of private space companies out there that are launching basically as quickly as they possibly can. If we tripled our capacity to launch things into orbit right now, like if tomorrow all of these companies plus the governments could triple their capacity, you would still take probably a couple of years to get a replacement device in orbit. Wow. And, you know, what we launched in 1990-something or 2000-something is not remotely close to what we would launch in 2026 or 2027. So if you're starting to talk about launching something into orbit in, in the early 2024 where we are now, you're talking about something that will be live and available for use in you know, two, three, four, five years in the future, right? But, but just so I'm clear, these old satellites that you've described, ones that are floating around up there and have been doing so since the 80s or 90s or early aughts and the like, I would imagine that their vulnerability to bad actors is pretty significant, right? It absolutely depends on the specific you know, satellite. We start talking about the orbital path, apogee and perigee. We start talking about, is it a software upgradable a satellite? There are generation one quantum network satellites up there that you can't update from the ground. And so they'll just have to fight, you know, launch a new one to replace it. Gen two, you can update the software. So if you wanted secure quantum encryption, great, you can do that. But we're just at the point of starting to launch those. All right. Well, this has been a very ominous conversation. Before we talk about markets and crypto and a bunch of other things, Sultan, can you at least give us some measure of confidence, if you believe it to be true, that the U.S. maintains a dominant position in both defensive and offensive capabilities? I mean, what I'm really trying to lead you to say is, yes, the U.S. is far and away stronger and more powerful than even the Chinese. But I can even see by the way you're looking at me, you're going to throw cold water on that. I was just going to say, if you wanted me to say that, you should have written it down. And I, I would have read it or you could have just deep <laughs> read what G3 it. says. Yeah, right. It's not nearly that clear cut, right? You think about in the nuclear arena, mutually assured destruction, and it's kind of binary. You have a nuke, they have a nuke. It's really bad if we both use our nukes and you don't do Even if we have better nukes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, right. It's just a a nuke is a nuke. There was an expression not a while back in the weapons of mass destruction thing. You know, a nuke is a bug, is a chemical weapon or something like that. Got it completely wrong probably. Um, And cyber got included in that for a long time, very early on, like in the 90s and 2000s. Of all the countries out there, is the United States most likely to be able to protect itself? Yes. I I would agree with that part of that. But that is a you know, that's a gray area for, for us too. You know, we need more people, we need more technology. You know, I really, I would love to see, you know, more investment in cybersecurity. And by more, I mean an order of magnitude increase, both on the educational side and, you know, on the technical side. And I used to say, you know, if you spend X percent of money on your IT operating budget every year, you know, 15% of that is kind of the right amount for cyber. I think now it's more like 25 or 30%. And that assumes that you're you know, getting rid of legacy technology and stuff like that. So are we prepared? Yes. Does that mean that a cyber Pearl Harbor isn't going to happen? No. And I'm pretty worried. And Jordy and I were talking about this before. Like we're both kind of waiting for that to happen. At this point, I think it will. And when the U.S., which I'm assuming also has, and I know this to be the case, potent offensive capabilities, when they decide to use those offensive capabilities in general, Will the American public know about it? I think the short answer is no. Sometimes they announce it when they do things, but in a lot of cases they don't. And it's a gray area legally, globally as well. So there's a lot of kind of not quite figured out on the law side. So just like we haven't figured out policy around 
AI or cyber to a degree here in the U.S. domestically. Right? We don't have a lot of policy and regulation and law around that. Internationally, it's kind of in the same place. You know, the U.S. isn't unique. And so, you know, is, for example, a cyber attack from one nation state on another to deter their ability to support proxies that are attacking assets of nation state A, there are going to be some people who argue that's an act of war. And there are some people who are going to say like, well, no, it's not. But like that's a different category of conversation than the technical capabilities. I guess it depends on your definition of war too. Well, I'm old school, so I go back to von Clausewitz, but you know. Understood. Politics is war by another measure. All right. So let's talk about the markets. Mike Edwards on the morning call uh, after Meta reported their quarter. It was a great quote. He said, Meta just added a Pfizer in terms of market cap. And so I get why the Mag 7 gets so much attention. But Jordy, as you well know, the leading names in cybersecurity, the Palo Alto networks, the CrowdStrikes, they are up huge so far in 2024. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, given all of these things that Sultan has talked about, is it your sense that the flows into these names are connected to this building concern of a cyber Pearl Harbor, or might there be other factors afoot here? I'm reminded as Sultan speaks as to why I don't go to conferences anymore, (laughs) because they always have that person that's brought up to talk about the tail risks that are there. And they're always there. There's never been a conference I haven't been to where they don't roll out someone. Not that you were rolled out. You're looking very svelte. So it's not a reflection of your physical side. This is really more everything that he highlighted is definitely something that we should all be thinking about with inside the distribution of probable outcomes, increase in cyber (laughs) needs is one of the things behind it. And they've been tied directly with AI. So I made kind of a, a comment, the market only cares about one thing. And I left it hanging there almost like a teaser. The market cares about what the mag seven are doing because they've been driving performance for a long time now. So just some stats on this so people can see how they're directly related. The NDX is up 40% over the last year. And within the top 10 performers, and when I say the last year, so people can go look at it themselves, you're talking February 6th to February 6th before we did this podcast. And you're dealing with a 40% performance for the NDX. Which is the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ 100. And obviously part of the MAG-7, you've got NVIDIA in there, you've got Meta in there, and you've got Amazon as three of the top 10 performers with inside that 40%. But you also have CrowdStrike and Palo Alto as number two and four. So Palo Alto, believe it or not, I mean, it's outperformed the Amazon by a significant amount. CrowdStrike outperformed Meta by a significant amount. When I mean it, it's up 170%. So the main reason why these don't get as much attention and why this at this point is not cyber, these are all offshoots again of the AI trade. So those companies are going up and being driven, at least in the narrative, by AI. And they're hoping that revenues come up. But there is, to just take Sultan's step further, as someone who looks at macro trends and wants to see if this is the beginning of something, there was a report released in January by the UK National Cybersecurity Center. And I read parts of it just because I was trying to, you know, look up as we got into the early part of the year as to reason these names will be in this because they show up in the jobs reports. And I'll talk about that as well. But There's a quote from inside the report if people want to go read it because it's online. And it basically says AI 
will almost certainly increase the volume and heighten the impact of cyber attacks over the next two years. So it's directly related. If you want to be believing that AI is going to accelerate, then you're going to have this situation as part of it. There were words in there used as part of the, let's say, the cyber world, hackers for hire and hacktivists. So I'd never heard these before, but that just shows you, you know, where it's gone. And then if you just look up on the job side, we all know that AI jobs are soaring, cyber jobs. There's a shortage of, in this country alone, I think it's 600,000 right now. And it's just hard to find the people. And where you have shortages in jobs and demand for those, that's usually when the stocks are doing well and it's showing up. So within all of these reports, no matter where you go, whether it's jobs or this is what you should expect from AI impacting cyber, there's a reason why they're going up. So as much as it might be fears. I think if that were the case, meaning if people were really worried about cyber and the impact it would have, since Sultan's not making this a positive thing, you'd probably have a situation where the market was going down and cyber stocks were outperforming or going higher, which is usually what happens when war starts to pick up as the defense stocks go up, but the rest of the market usually builds in a risk premium. There's no risk premium built in. At this point, they're just saying, we're looking for the positive side of things. It starts at AI and it moves down. I think the reason we're doing this podcast, there are negatives which come along with AI. Right now, we have only focused on the positives that come out with it. And even though the media might talk about the negatives, they haven't really been brought into the world. And I think at some point from a risk premium basis, which is why TikTok is an important thing, which is why politics and what could happen with this is an important thing, the cyber side is definitely... Uh, an offshoot that's starting to get a little bit more important. It seems like it's as a sector. And, you know, when Sultan said he thinks it's going to be bigger than AI this year, it's like, oh, my goodness. But it doesn't have that cohesive narrative. You know, it doesn't have a catchy name like the Mag 7. Half of the cybersecurity names begin with C, so it doesn't make it easy to actually create a nice little narrative. Do you think once the narrative gets formed, that's when you'll probably see even more explosive growth in these names? Well, we know we're up to what, like a billion listeners now to the podcast? About that. that. About a billion. About a billion, yeah. So I will tell you, in case you don't know this, do you know what the iShares ETF name is for cybersecurity? Cyber. No. It has a catchy name. So we're going to start it now. Okay. It's iHack. iHack. (laughs) I-H-A-K. So, and that has all the names in it. And just so you get the full blown data, if you bought the QQQs last year to play the AI move, you're up 40.45%. Not bad. If you bought iHack, you're up 40.8%. So it nosed it out to start the derby conversation uh, in the finish line. So you're better off with iHack. Wow. And by the way, Sultan, do you have a derby game? I don't. You don't. Okay. So you're, you won't be on that episode. I mean, I will happily sit in the background with a mint julep and cheer you guys on. Okay. All right. But I, can I just highlight one thing yeah. that Jordy said that's interesting, which is there is a kind of a, I don't want to say domino, but there is definitely a sequence of events that you can track back to so many advances in emerging technology over the last few years that have led to significant advancements in the technologies of artificial intelligence that have in parallel and then downstream led to significant advances in technologies in and around cybersecurity. AI got a massive marketing boost over the last two years because of consumer-facing functionality, right? The replacement to the Google search by OpenAI with ChatGPT as the kind of prime example. Cybersecurity is not going to have a consumer-facing positive narrative attached to it. 
There is no function like that. Apple rolls out this new cybersecurity feature that is massively important as it relates to your iPhone getting stolen, and it kind of got some buzz in the market, but nowhere else, right? So what certain actors in the market would be looking for to see that juice to this the CTF or, or any of these groups it is not actually going to happen. The news story that gets t- you know above the fold is going to be a negative story. It's not going to be a positive story. And so there is kind of a characteristic differential between how that narrative could emerge. Sounds like animal spirits is more tricky to envision happening in, in soccer, right? <laughs> so what will end up being is it's going to be the revenues. And the one thing that's different in these, and Sultan, again, I think you should speak about this. If you were going to pick which ones of these price will be commoditized quickly. So when we did our first generative AI <laughs> conversation, there weren't as many LLMs out there, but quickly they're accelerating. There's more, they're global. Which one, you know, a service-based cybersecurity where it's a subscription-based thing and you're going through it, which one is more likely to be commoditized quickly? The tech forward one, right? So that's going to be the interesting thing because most of these companies are people plus technology, right? Mm -hmm. And the ones that are just technology, not only are going to scale faster, but they're also going to be commoditized faster. And what takes longer to build, an LLM or cybersecurity? Cybersecurity. Yeah, head and shoulders, right? I mean, I could go to a website and probably in the amount of time it takes us to finish this podcast could probably download an LLM, build the model and run it. And cybersecurity is far broader than just an LLM, right? So, Right. You're not going to build a new framework for protecting a satellite in space from the period of time it takes for us to finish this podcast. I, I definitely would not be able to do that. All right. Well, let's talk about another technology that I know you both have strong opinions on. And let's not forget that the root of the word cryptography is crypt. And we're going to talk about crypto now. In a world where nobody trusts anything they see anymore, Jordy, and even big companies and regulators like the SEC can be penetrated What is the role, in your view, of decentralization, blockchains, and crypto in trying to combat cyber attacks? Again, if you just type in what's safer and you go through the blockchain, and Sultan is the perfect person to speak about this, especially since he's got this advanced AI side. But when we met and you introduced him to me, all we talked about that day was crypto. And we specifically got into quantum computing where China and the U.S. were on this front and the risk of the financial sector. And I would say specifically the reason this is important, when we get into cyber, what's going to be the headline that actually matters? I was in a meeting yesterday and someone was late to the meeting. And when they walked in, they said, sorry, I was on the phone with American Express. And they had something go on in their account, which was basically some form of hacking And I think this is at some point we're going to have a major story and the blockchain is going to be the solution that combined with cybersecurity to me, you have to make it harder for there to be hacking. Cyber is one thing, but there has to be a connection. So as I've said before, I'm just simplistically saying the rise of AI leads to the rise of a lack of authenticity and understanding what's real and what's not real. And so to your point, which is well put, cryptography, (laughs) crypto How we get to this point where people can be more secure in what they actually own, what they actually have, I think this is going to just continue to grow. So it may not be a direct thing in people's investors' minds right now, 
But I think definitely over the next five years, and the only way, again, I'll say this, that I think you can play this. It's not a company thing. It's really a Bitcoin thing. If you think blockchain is going to accelerate in its usage, Bitcoin is the M2 of that universe. And I think more and more talent and people will continue to focus on blockchain as a solution and we'll get there at some point. So for those who don't have a live camera here, G3 just kind of waved his hand at me to throw in something. Nobody has a live camera here, but it's a podcast. (laughs) So there is a fundamental conflict in our civilization right now between centralization and decentralization. And you see it play out in a variety of features, whether it's how the EU is thinking about centralized rules around policy or you see it in the conflict between the Democratic and Republican parties here in the United States. The answer to the question of where will we end up at some sort of piece of equilibrium where we can extract the highest values from these technologies, especially things like blockchain and artificial intelligence, while protecting ourselves as much as we possibly can from negative cyber actors or unwarranted surveillance or whatever people worry about, we are generations away. And I don't mean technical generations. I mean human generations away from that conflict being resolved. And so we are in a technical build moment with so many of these technologies. I think I would classify everything that's been built up to this point in crypto as a version 1.0. Call it the Alta Vista, if you will, to use a company probably most people have never heard of. From I'll the put days. it in the show notes yeah. for the people under 40. Yeah. The SEO won't love that one. <laughs> it will take generations of policy change and law change. It will take generations of people learning about these activities. It will take generations of technology development. You know, the original thesis of why the OSI stack built up the way it was in order for the internet to work the way it was, was fundamentally about decentralization and survivability. That's the reason why the internet works the way it does and why if somebody puts a backhoe through a fiber optic cable in the middle of Manhattan, you might not notice. Blockchain is still catching up with that. There's a lot of brittleness in most of those systems. There's still a lot of issues there. But that decentralization system was highly centralized over the last 30 years. And that's why we have things like the big cloud vendors and the big tech vendors and, you know, the big social media players. We are seeing a pendulum swing back towards more decentralization, but the technologies are not remotely close to as robust as they are on the other side yet. And so that's why you don't see massive regulated financial institutions being able to use these technologies for anything other than kind of nominally interesting work, right? Not in the core. Yeah, absolutely not in the core. And in many cases, the regulators are just saying, no, you can't do it for exactly the reasons people might want to. Jordy, you mentioned a particular credit card issuer, and Sultan knows this. A couple of years ago, I discovered that someone was paying off my credit card bill every month. And I called them up and I said, I didn't pay this. Please reverse the charge. And they said, sure, no problem, G3. They called me G3. (laughs) And it went on for four or five months. And I spoke to Sultan about it. I said, what is this about? And he was the one who actually attuned me to the seriousness of that situation to finally get that taken care of because it lasted about six months where every month and I, and of course couldn't find the source of it, but that was a thing. This is a real thing. So this is a good point where Sultan for people out there looking from an investment standpoint, you and I did this podcast on 50, 30, 20. Yep. So during the same February to February period that I gave you for iHack and QQQs, Bitcoin's up 86%. So I'm going to keep pounding the table to people. In fact, I'm going to show you something that I just pulled up on my phone. That is the chart of Bitcoin relative to iHack. Okay. iHack is the one that's up at the highs. 
if I did the same chart of Bitcoin versus ARK, which is an innovation ETF, that thing is near the lows while Bitcoin's gone higher. In my opinion, there is absolutely no way investors, if they think cyber is going to take off, it will accelerate the blockchain. And remember, Bitcoin is global. What we're talking about with iHack and with the Mag7, these are U.S. companies. Bitcoin is global. And so I'm just going to keep bringing it up on this over and over again that I think Bitcoin is a representation of cyber. It's a representation of AI and it will outperform consistently as those are going higher. And it's not at the all-time highs while iHack is there, while the Mag7 are there. And I think, again, it's because what do people know how to do? They know how to buy stocks. Bitcoin, to me, is going to, because of the ETF, is gradually going to get more users. But if you believe that this is the year that there will be a cyber story, I do believe that Bitcoin is going to benefit. And I'll bring one more thing up. The banking problems have not gone away. The KRE, which is the regional bank ETF, has fallen sharply. We're getting commercial real estate problems in other places around the globe. Europe had some issues today. This is not something necessarily to be bearish, but as I'm going to do a a webinar over the weekend, I'll show that KRE related to the S&P since May of last year is an issue. Bitcoin fits in with the lack of trust with inside the banking system, of which, again, a huge portion of the money is in the regional banks. If you don't trust the banking system, deposits are still not increasing for the banks. You still have flight from it. This, again, is another thing that if we have a cyber attack with the regional bank weakness where they already don't trust the banks, Bitcoin's going to soar. So I'm going to stick with this on many, many levels that this is the fiat system coming under attack from AI. Sultan, do regional and small banks have great cybersecurity defenses? (laughs) God. Uh, on advice of counsel, no. Um, no, the single biggest cyber, if, if I were to list off the top two or three cyber Pearl Harbor stories that I would worry about for 2024, the, the U.S. banking system would be really high up there. I would say I would agree with Jordy that if there is a significant cyber event in the fiat system, Bitcoin will do very well. All of crypto will, but I think Bitcoin will do very well. So other than buying Bitcoin and... Which not- is not what I just said. I'm not saying that Jordy said it. Other than buying Bitcoin and making sure your password is not password one, two, three. What can people do on both a personal level and an organizational level to try and at least not be the easiest target, the tallest poppy out there? Education. Absolutely. Get educated. Understand the basics. If you have a single account that is not using a multi-factor authentication method and a password manager. Those two things, if you use a single password that is not in those universes, you are in the 50% of people most likely to get hacked, number one. So that's the first one. The second is there are a million different things happening at any point. We all get a million text messages and emails and, you know, there's just a cacophony of noise hitting your eyes on a daily basis. Every single one of us probably has gotten a fake phone call in the last two days from some number, right? Yeah. Don't answer it. Don't respond to any of it. Find trusting paths to talk to the people you need to talk to, right? So for example, in my organization, a number of people have gotten spear phishing attacks where it pretends to be me saying, hey, I want to test out our cybersecurity thing, buy a gift card and send it to me and I'll show how we can stop that. Well, that has nothing to do with our company, but... You know, that's fine. So I tell everyone, if you don't see it from me over a corporate piece of technology, don't respond to it. Take a screenshot and send it to one of of our cyber guys. So that's the second one is to know your circles of trust. 
right? G3, if, if I got a text from you from a platform that I have not interacted with you on, I will probably just ignore it, right? But doesn't it get scarier when all of a sudden it's a platform that you recognize? You know, yeah. you get a text from Jordy, it looks normal. You get a text yeah. from me, it looks normal. Yeah. I mean, then what do you do, right? Yeah. I know both of you well enough to know that SIM swapping and things like that are very unlikely to work on either of you. So I'm, yeah. I'm less concerned by also, what are they asking? Use your critical thinking skills. I mean, this is the thing that I think is probably the biggest challenge is even if you're not fully educated, even if you don't know every in and out, use your critical thinking skills. If Jordy sends me a thing asking me to send him a gift card, yeah, I'm going to know that he got hacked, right? The only thing I will throw in just to make sure that people understood what Sultan said at the beginning, because it's something that I do myself and I've had all my family members do this whole multi-authentication situation. It might be a pain every time you do something in your bank that you have to go through a text message with a security code. and It might be a pain, but that type of pain is going to save you down the line. So you have to minimize your risk. And part of that is if you have a hundred credit cards, sorry, it's a big risk. If you have two, Go through the same multi-authentication. Make sure any purchase is over a certain amount. You fill out all of that stuff. And I go back to the person who got the call yesterday. He got a call because the purchase happened that day. It's very easy for them to stop it that day. It gets much harder if you notice it in your bill. You're like, what is this? And then yeah. you go back. It's a much harder process. So you need real-time information and yeah. real-time security. Yeah, that's a great point. I would say, you know, for every financial account you have, whether it's a you know, crypto, car, credit card, bank, whatever, make sure that you've got the app set up with multi-factor so that you're seeing the notifications. So like my credit card, every time there's a transaction, I see a notification on my phone immediately. And that's saved me you know, multiple times. I'm going to try again to, to turn this conversation positive and fun as we end here. <laughs> we, of course, have Mardi Gras coming up on Tuesday. We have Taylor Swift's new album, that is scheduled to drop very soon. And of course, as you both know, the Super Bowl is coming up. I have two questions for you. The first question I shall direct to Sultan. Sultan, did you ever think you'd see the day when conservatives were rooting overwhelmingly for a team from San Francisco? Not remotely. And by the same token, the fact that I'm, I'm rooting for a team from Kansas City is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> understood. Understood. All right. And now to you, Jordy. Come on, let's end positively here. Let's end on a happy note. Given that both teams are here thanks to their dominating defenses, what is going to be more exciting, the game or Usher's halftime performance, in your opinion? I'm not too worried about the game being saying, what could be better than to have, to get back to the question, yeah, Sultan, in terms of rooting for San Francisco? I mean, what happened in 2020? We had these same two teams playing and the Chiefs won and Biden won. So rooting for the 49ers is not just a Taylor Swift thing. It's also a right. let's reverse the course that happened in 2020 for the GOP. So that's a good point. All right, gentlemen, as always, great conversation. Thank you so much. Sultan, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and all the normal places. And Jordy, where can people find you? I think he means X, by the way. I think you've better. Where can they find me? Where can they find you? <laughs> right here. Everywhere. Right <laughs> you. Here. All right. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Thanks. Thank you. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without any notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. 
Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as recommendation to purchase or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investments. Any health-related information shared on the podcast is not intended as medical advice for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on the podcast. Please also review related show notes for this podcast and visit us at www.gwise.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.